0: Okay, so let's visualize the merit field. All the holy beings, ourselves, surrounded by all the sentient beings. Let's generate our motivation. So, beginning with beginningless ignorance, the rest of the twelve links appear, and the cycle of existence goes on and on. Now, who is it that cycles in cyclic existence. This is a very important question, and our automatic response is me. I do. But who is that I that cycles? Who is it? How does it exist? And this is the question that when we can understand it will help us break the chain of the twelve links and arrive at nirvana. So, with the motivation of compassion for all living beings, Let's explore this issue of who or what is it that revolves in the Twelve Links. When you say I revolve in the Twelve Links, what revolves? Yeah, your body, your voice. So who is it that revolves? Yeah, this is the big question. Yeah, and we all feel like I, I revolve. Okay, so I'm going to start at the beginning of this section again, and uh, we'll... So Try and figure out who it is that revolves. When outlining the 12 links in the Rice Seedling Sutra, the Buddha said, from ignorance arises formative action, and from birth arises aging or death. He expressed the interconnection of the 12 links in this way to emphasize that there is no inherently existent person who experiences the 12 links. You would think that he taught the 12 links to show the interconnection between the links. But here it's saying that he taught it to show that there's no inherently existent person. Yeah, those are not two contradictory things. Yes, he taught it to show the 12 links. But when you understand what the 12 links are deeply, you see that there is just a process of one thing triggering another, bringing another, producing another, leading to another. And that in that whole process, there's nothing that has an essence that goes from one link to the next. Yeah the way we look at things we tend to think that even when something changes there is some essence or essential quality or part of what is the cause that goes on and becomes the result okay so when we say i go through the 12 links you know, or I revolve in samsara, our usual way of thinking is that there's somebody who is me. Yeah. And okay, that somebody changes. It's a human being in one life, a bear in another life, a lynx in the next life, coming up to be a human being, then maybe go to the God realm, then going who knows where. But we think that between all those different lives, in all those different life forms, life bodies and realms of existence, that there's something that is that person that connects the whole thing. And why do we feel like there's something that goes from one link to the next, one life to the next? Because... If there weren't, then how would karma get from one life to the next? Yeah. So if we believe in karma and that the seeds of karma that are created in one life can ripen as experiences in a different life, then we have to account for how... That karma goes. And our intrinsic feeling is that there is something that is me, we're not quite sure what it is, that carries the karma. Yeah. And it, it's this is kind of our daily life experience. Yeah. When you go to the work to work in the morning. Yeah, and then the next morning you, you go to work, and the next morning you go to work. Do you feel like there's something that's you that's going to work each morning, and something that's you that's collecting the paycheck at the end, and something that's you that's spending the money? Yeah? so we feel like there's something that is there in that continuity? Because the way of our mind thinks is if there weren't some solid thing that, you know, unchanging thing that goes from one moment to the next, then everything after one life would stop and you would become a totally different person in the next life unrelated to the previous life which means that the karma you created when you were a human being could not ripen when you were a bear because they were two separate people. Nothing connecting them. So we feel like there's something that's connecting them. And the grossest version of that something is is a permanent, heartless, independent self. What they call Atman. Okay? And uh, so Atman is is, uh, a Hindu, uh, a, uh, a Pali Sanskrit word. Okay? And the idea of an Atman occurs in Hinduism and in theistic religions. Yeah? In theistic religions, it's called a soul. Yeah? There's a soul that's you that doesn't change goes from life to life, or goes to heaven and hell, or something. Okay? So this is our natural assumption, and we get very attached to this person, this self, because we want it to be happy. Our whole thing in our life is, I want to be happy and I don't want to suffer. And we feel that I so strongly and we want to protect it from misery we want it to be happy yeah and so that becomes really the focus of our life and since we're so reactive and involved with external people and external objects you know we think that happiness and suffering exists in those objects it exists in social status, it exists in educational degrees. It exists in diplomas and announcements in newspapers. It exists, you know, wherever that there's, there's some happiness out there. Or sometimes there's some suffering out there in another person or in an object. Yeah and so our whole life becomes a dance a very confusing and often painful dance of how i can control the external world so as to make this i to protect this i and make it happy okay and we never question what this if our idea of the I, of the self, is correct. We may question it a little bit and say, okay, maybe there's not a a permanent, partless, independent I, but there's a self-sufficient, substantially existent I. Or there's an inherently existent I. But there's something... That is really me. Mm. That continues on. Okay. So that's our ordinary, ignorant way of seeing things. And this is what Buddhism questions. Do we actually exist in the way we think we exist? In other words, don't believe everything you think because you think you exist in one way. But when we investigate, we often find that that's not actually how we exist. And there's going to be several examples in here. Okay? So, the rice seedling says, Nothing whatsoever goes from this world to the beyond. Nothing. Wait a minute. There's me. I go from this life to the beyond, to the next life. Yeah. Or my soul goes. My Atman goes. Yeah. My body doesn't really go. This clunker stays here. But maybe there's some kind of subtle body that kind of, you know, has some shape. You can't really touch it, but it's kind of like there. And that goes from one life to the next. Like in the movies, you know? Somebody dies. There was some movie a long time ago. I don't remember the name of it. But somebody, the man in the family dies, the father. And his soul floated up. It was some amorphous kind of something. And then it went over, and it went into the family dog. Yeah. So then the father comes to the house, but he's really a dog now. Yeah, so that creates a bit of a problem in the family. (laughs) Okay. So we might think, well, no, that's who I am, some kind of amorphous thing. Yeah. Or maybe it's my mind, my mental consciousness that goes from one life to the next. Or maybe there's a foundation conf- consciousness, a special consciousness that is really me that stores all the karmic imprints. Got them all put together, and it's what goes to the next life. But in the Rice Seedling Sutra, the Buddha said nothing whatsoever goes from this world to the next. So how then does karma? How do the karmic seeds go? Yeah, are karmic seeds permanent? Are they cast in concrete? Is the karmic seed in one life exactly the same as the karmic seed in the next life? No, because if the karmic seeds were permanent and unchanging, first of all, they could never be created. And second of all, they could never ripen and bring a result, because things that are permanent cannot change. Okay. So nevertheless, from causes and conditions, the effect of karma is manifested. So there's something going on here. You have causes and conditions and you have a result, but what is it that connects them? So here's an example. It is just as in a clean mirror one sees the image of a face. But the image does not transfer into the mirror. When you look in the mirror, you see the image of your face. But your face does not go in the mirror. And there's no image of your face here that then goes in the mirror. There's a face, there's an image, they're related The face produces the image in the mirror, but there's nothing that goes from the mirror to the face. I mean, from the face to the mirror. Okay? Because the causes and conditions are complete, a face appears. Yeah, just like Venerable Sumpton's example this morning. Yeah, when there's enough water... The what kind of grass grows? Well, the, real grass. the real grass grows. Yeah. Not the napweed and the blue grass, bulbous grass. Okay. Accordingly, yeah, when, well, when causes and conditions are complete, a face appears. Accordingly, there is not anyone, there is not anyone who transfers from this life at death. No one is born in another lifetime as well. Because the causes and conditions are complete, the effect of karma is actualized. Wait a minute. Nobody who transfers, there's not anybody who transfers from this life to the next. But we say so-and-so died and got re- reborn in such-and-such such a realm, such-and-such such a person. We say that. Isn't there some person that dies and gets reborn? Yeah? What the Buddha is saying here is there's just causes and conditions that produce a result. But there's nothing fixed, permanent, or inherently existent that goes from one life to the next, from one moment to the next. We feel like there is. We feel like there's a real me that goes from one day to the next and one life to the next. Okay? But try to pinpoint a person there. Yeah, you see a body and mind in one life, you see a body and mind in the next life. Does the body of one life go into the next, become the body of the next life? No. Yeah. If we die and become Bodhi Bug, does this thing... Become Bodhi Bug's green body? No. What about our mind? Well, what in the world is the mind? Because the mind, when we look at what the mind is, first of all, there's six. Consciousnesses in the mind. There's the five sense consciousnesses: visual, auditory, olfactory, gustatory, tactile, and there's the mental consciousness. Yeah. Do any of them go into the next life? If they did, if our mental consciousness went to the next life. Then, if we were born as Bodhi Bug, we would think, we would still think in English. We would still, we would have political views. We would have favorite TV shows. Okay, does Bodhi Bug have those things? I don't think so. If Bodhi Bug were be reborn as a human being, and it was the mind, Bodhi Bug's mind, that went from that body to a human being body, then we would all see the world as bugs do. Yeah? Have you ever seen a science uh, um, documentary that talks about uh, flies' eyes? and how they have so many different parts, and the way a fly sees things is would be totally unrecognizable to us, and vice versa. So the mind, the consciousnesses, do not go from one life to the next. But what happens in one life affects what happens in the next life. What you do today is going to affect what happens tomorrow. Yeah? So you don't even have to make it from one life to the next. Yeah? To this, Nagarjuna adds in the verse commentary on the Rice Seedling Sutra. Okay, here's some more examples. Just as the distant moon appears in a small vessel of water but is not transferred there, karma and its functions exist. So if we took this, or we let's say we had a clear bowl, a glass bowl, and we filled it with water and went out on a full moon night, and the full moon would be reflected in the water you could look in the water and you see a full moon the moon's really big the water the moon in the in the bowl is pretty small did the moon go in the bowl yeah the moon did not transfer in the bowl whatever composes the moon, is still on the moon. It's not like some molecules of the moon came in, into the thing of water and made a reflection. Yeah. It's just the causes and conditions were there. You have the moon, you have a, a bowl of water, it's dark, and the wind isn't blowing. If you take away one of those conditions then you don't have the reflection of the moon in the water. Yeah. If the moon were out in the daytime, no reflection. Yeah. If there's not a full moon, no reflection. If there's no water in the bowl, no reflection. So all the conne- causes and conditions have to be there. But there's nothing that goes from the moon into the bowl. Is there? Yeah. If there were, then the scientists could take the moon out of the bowl and run out, out of all their tests about what kind of materials are in the moon. Yeah. And maybe the man, man in the moon would come out and say, Hi. Tibetans say there's a rabbit in the moon. Yeah? What did Chinese say is in the moon? Yeah. No? Rabbit. rabbit? Same with the Tibetans? Yeah. So the rabbit would come out. Yeah? No rabbit. Likewise, at death, nothing transfers from this life, but a being is born. So there's no being who goes from this life who transfers into the next one. If the causes and conditions are not complete, a fire does not burn. Once they are complete, the fire burns. Okay. When the causes and conditions aren't there, the person does not die. When the causes and conditions aren't there, the person is not reborn yet. But when you these things are complete, then very naturally, without any controller, without any external being, without any... Uh, a wise diviner or ish, diviner or ishvara and so forth like we chant there's nothing on the outside no god nothing that makes when somebody dies here to be reborn from when the moon reflects in the water there's no outside agent that controls the whole thing. We like to think there is. When we think of causes and conditions, it's like, oh, oh, when we think, oh, but there is a hopefully benevolent being who controls it. So if I please that benevolent being, then I'll have a good rebirth. Yeah? But if you look around, if there's a benevolent being, I think he lost some of his benevolence in the process. Or he's really out of control. So there's no external agent. It's just causes and conditions and the fire lights. Causes and conditions. There's rebirth. So from complete causes and conditions, the aggregates, the body and mind, of a new life arise. Just as the moon reflected in water, there is nothing that transfers from here at death. But a being is reborn. Wait a minute. You just said there's nothing that transfers from here to the next life. If that's the case, how come a how can a being be reborn? Yeah When there's causes and conditions, there's the appearance of a being. When we think being, we think concrete, concrete personality. Yeah. A being is not a concrete personality. Yeah. We are composed of many different factors. And in our quote, quote, personality, there are many, many contradictory traits. Are you a consistent sentient being? No. We are incredibly inconsistent. Why? Because we have so many. We have the capacity for the love and the capacity for hate. And they both go along. Okay? And there's nobody that takes them along from one life to the next. It's simply one moment producing the next, one moment producing the next, cause and effect. So this really, you know, challenges our usual way of looking at things. For example, do you feel when you think me, you know, I'm sitting here in this room, yeah, do you think that that person who is you was created by causes and conditions? Or do you feel... No, there's me. I'm sitting here. Or do you feel no, there's something that's just appeared due to causes and conditions that's sitting here? Do you do you have the feeling that if the causes and conditions didn't exist, then you wouldn't exist? Hell no. You know, I don't depend on causes and conditions. I am I. I exist. I am here. I'm not depending on any causes and conditions. That's the way we feel, isn't it? We don't have the feeling like if the causes and conditions didn't come together, there's no me But that's really the truth of the matter, isn't it? Yeah? If the sperm and the egg and the consciousness didn't come together, there's no me. What do you mean, no me? I am here. I am here and the world revolves around me. These moving passages point out that the person who transmigrates from one to another is nothing more than a merely designated I. Then we go, oh, that's it. I'm a merely designated I. I knew it all the time. I am I. I'm designated. I am here. Actually, that's not a merely designated I. That is the inherently existent I that doesn't really exist. What do you mean, I'm merely designated? I depend on name and concept. I don't depend on name and concept. I don't depend on causes and conditions. I am here. It's our feeling, isn't it? Even though when we use our mind to examine, it becomes very clear that without causes and conditions, we wouldn't be here. And without being conceived and designated I, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. We can use our reasoning, but what we know with reasoning and what we feel in our gut is totally contradictory. That is ignorance. Okay. That is ignorance. The rebirth process happens without a permanent, substantial self that is reborn. Kind of like magic, it seems like we call it magic, so, because it's so different from how we usually think. In fact, in fact, it would be impossible for rebirth to occur if there were an inherently existent self. So if we existed like we feel and think we existed, actually rebirth couldn't happen, and us going from one day to the next couldn't happen. Why? Because something that is inherently existent, that is solid like that, does not depend on any other factors. Something that does not depend on any other factors cannot change. Think about it. Yeah. For things to change, it means they exist dependently. They depend on parts, They depend on conditions, on causes, yeah. So if things existed independent of all other factors, they could be there, yeah. The moon could be reflected in that bowl of water in the daytime, in the nighttime, whether it was full moon or new moon, it could always be there because it would be independent of all other factors. Something that's independent of all other factors can't arise and cease. It's permanent. Yeah, here permanent means it doesn't change moment to moment. It doesn't mean eternal. Okay? So we would be permanent. If we would be permanent, then how could we have one idea today and another idea tomorrow? If we were permanent... How could we understand the words that we are hearing right now? Yeah. If there were a fixed, permanent me that didn't depend on sound waves, on interrelating with other people, on having learned language, then... I, I could never learn anything, I could never change. I couldn't think because think invo- thinking involves change. I could never perceive anything because perception involves change. Okay. So it would be impossible for rebirth to occur if there were an inherently existent self, because such a self would exist independent of all other factors and thus could not be influenced by causes and conditions and could not change. Since rebirth entails change, a permanent, independent person could not be reborn. So how... How we think we exist, that kind of I cannot take rebirth. That kind of I can't exist at all to start with. So what kind of I takes rebirth? A merely designated one. What's a merely designated one? It's one that is conceived and given a name Conventionally, dependent on some aggregates. That's all. It is possible for rebirth to occur only if the I exists nominally as a convention. Now, when we hear nominally as a convention, we think inherently existent. Yeah? So even we hear the words nominally, merely imputed, we think inherently existent. Okay, the recorder. <laughs> the recorder won't get offended on what basis do we say this is a recorder we say oh here's a recorder and we look at it as if it there is something here that really is the recorder that is radiating recorderness as if any idiot who came in this room would look at this and know it's a recorder And know that it's not Buddha Bear. Are you Buddha Bear? Are you a recorder? Okay. No. This one has recorder nature. That one has Buddha Bear nature. Something really inside there. But I won't do it because I'd get clobbered. But imagine taking the recorder apart. Okay. And you peel off the front and you peel off the back and does it have wires inside? It has a battery. Does it have wires? Does it have wire? Huh? It's sealed up. So it has wires and then it has something around the wires. I <laughs> Maybe we should take it apart and see what's inside. No? No? Okay. It it has some kind of clear plastic on the front. Okay. It has something that makes light because we see a red light. It has something that's black and something that's kind of silver colored. Yeah. So there's different colors. Yeah, and there's different parts on the inside. Are any of the parts the recorder? If I took this apart, I won't do it. If I took it apart and I put all the parts here, do we have a recorder? We have a bunch of things lined up here that are not recorders. How can you put a bunch of things that are not recorders together and have a recorder? How does that happen? You have all these. It would be like getting, putting a bunch of apples together and getting a asparagus. Yeah? how can you put a bunch of things that are not a recorder together and get a recorder? Okay? So, what? how does the recorder exist? There's all these non-recorder parts that are put together in a certain way. It can't just be piled together in any old way. They have to be put together in a certain way. Yeah. And then... All of us together have agreed that if this thing can record voices and play it back, we'll call it a recorder. And then recorder becomes a useful abbreviation for us to use instead of saying, uh, "Venerable Sultrum just brought the thing that's about, mm, I don't know, maybe not quite three inches tall, a little bit more than an inch wide, and it has flashing black things and a silver color and some kind of batteries on the inside. Bring it here. She brought it here. So, you know, we say recorder. Everybody knows what it is. If you have to use the description of what, all the parts of the recorder are that are, are assembled together, it would take a long time to communicate anything to anybody. And what if you just named the parts, but the parts were in a heap, and they weren't put together so that they functioned to record voices? Then would we call it a recorder? If we press the buttons here and it didn't record... Is it a recorder? Is it a recorder? It's not a recorder? Somebody might call it a broken recorder. Is a broken recorder a recorder? One person said yes. Is a broken recorder a recorder? Does it perform the function of a recorder? No. A yes, but <laughs> does it perform the function of a recorder? <clears throat> it doesn't. Yeah, but we have all the parts together. They're one big heap. If I took it apart, there's no way I can put it back together. i just put all the parts together in a heap and say, "Here, a venerable soldier. <laughs> Thanks for loaning me your recorder. And I won't tell you what she says back. <laughs> okay. So one moment of an oil lamp's flame doesn't transfer into the next moment, but a mere continuum goes on without interruption. So you have uh, a flame. Yeah, they always use oil lamps. You know, think ancient India, modern India. <laughs> yeah. Does the flame go from one moment to the next? So here's one flame. Here's the next flame. This flame goes to the next moment and becomes the next, fla- the next moment. And then you have the two flames together. They go on to the next moment. Now you have three flames. Yeah. The fire, the, the flame doesn't transfer to the next moment. Does the flame stop completely and cease to exist? No. There's a continuum. Yeah. A continuum is a series of similar things that are connected by causality. But there's nothing that connects all the moments of that similar thing. It's just causes producing results. Okay. Likewise, due to the coming together of causes and conditions, the mental continuum takes birth without a findable self that is reborn. Oh, but the mental continuum is reborn. Does one moment of mental consciousness go on immutably without changing at all to become the next moment of mental consciousness? Okay. Now we might think that like when you when you see a movie, you have something that is a series of individual f- flame, um, frames, yeah, and that the frames go so fast that it looks like a continuum. But the frames are actually totally independent little things. Yeah. So it gives the appearance of something going. But in actual fact, one frame does not continue to the next frame yeah so the continuity of mind is not like individual unrelated frames in a in the strip of, of a movie how do you call it um yeah a strip of of a movie yeah yeah, and so it is too. Our life is not little boxes of unrelated moments. The mind is not little boxes of unrelated moments, because yeah. If we go back to the movie example, one frame does not is not the same as the next frame. Yeah, if one moment of consciousness, yeah, were the next frame, of, uh, were the next moment of consciousness, they would have to think the same thing. Yeah, because it would be one thing, individual, unrelated things. Yeah. You might say, but the frames are individual and unrelated things. But they only appear to be a continuum. They are not a continuum because you could set all them out individually. Yeah. So the point here is that when we're talking about something that is impermanent, that changes moment to moment, it's not in flicker form with individual unrelated moments, it's a continuum. Can you draw a line between one moment of the continuum and the next? Okay. There's moments of mind, okay, moments of mind, one after the next. Is each moment individual and clearly distinguishable from the previous moment? There are different moments of mind. Can you draw a line between them and find out where one moment ends and the next one starts? Okay. If we talk, there's so much talk about being being in the present moment. Yeah, we're Buddhists. We're supposed to be in the present moment. What in the world is the present moment? Yeah. Even you isolate some tiny smidgen of time, it's going to have a beginning, middle of an end. Yeah. And then, so you have one moment, next moment, beginning, middle, end, beginning, middle, end. Yeah. They somehow touch. But this moment, This is the smallest one. Still, even though it's the smallest, it too has beginning, middle, and end. So which part of this smallest moment is really the smallest moment? The beginning, middle, or end of it? If you choose the beginning, that beginning portion has a beginning, middle, and end. The middle portion has a beginning, middle, and end. The last portion has a beginning, middle, and end. Which moment is the present moment. Okay? So in a continuum, there's definitely a series of changing things, but there's nothing that goes from one moment to the next. And you can't even separate one moment from the next, but time happens. And the past is not the present, and the present is in the future. But you can't draw a line to distinguish them. I want to live in the present moment. Let's fixate the present moment. Yeah, I want things with nice, clear definitions that are predictable and secure. So I want to know what the present moment is so that I know in what moment I exist. Try and find it. When masters teach their disciples' prayers by asking them to repeat the lines after them, the prayers are not transferred to the disciples, but the disciples know the prayers just as the masters do. Now, this is how they teach the, the young monks and nuns at the monasteries to memorize pujas and texts. is master says, that the child repeats it. Does anything go from... The master to the child, there's nothing that picks up or duplicates and goes. yeah. But the kid learns the prayer. And here's another, this one's a very good example. Just as a seal makes a clear impression on wax without anything transferring from the seal to the wax, so too does consciousness continue without a self that transfers from one life to the next. Okay. So you have the wax. Yeah, it's kind of soft. You have your stamp with your, uh, you know, your initials or your, your insignia. You go like that. Yeah. And the insignia on the stamp, design on the stamp is now in the wax. Did it go there from the from the stamp? Nothing moved from the stamp to the wax, did it? Yeah. If you have a regular stamp with ink, something moves from the ink moves from the stamp to the piece of paper. But if you have wax, nothing goes. But the insignia, the design, appears in the wax. Although, so too does the consciousness continue without a self that transfers from one life to the next. Although we speak of a person revolving in cyclic existence, someone who creates karma, experiences its effects, and is the appropriator of the aggregates. Appropriator, the person that took up the aggregates, takes up the aggregates in the next life. Yeah. Is there a person that picks up the aggregates? Yeah. I died. Over here there's a new body and there's four mental aggregates and I go over there and say, these are my aggregates and appropriate them and call them mine. Is that how rebirth ha- happens? Hmm. Okay. That's why the, in the Tibetan they translate it as the self but the, the the relationship between the the self and the aggregates is the aggregates are what is appropriated, the person is what appropriates them. In the Pali tradition, they say the clung to aggregates. I think that expresses it much better. There's the clung to aggregates, not to, but that you cling to the aggregates. There's someone clinging to the aggregates and the clung to aggregates, but there's nobody you can point to who's clinging to the aggregates. But the aggregates are the basis of designation of the person. So they're the basis of designation of the person, and then the designated person clings to them. Seems like, wait a minute, I should be able to stop that yeah because we feel like there's a some separate pers- a person that's separate from the aggregates independent of the aggregates you get the aggregates together and then poof a person appears that's over here and independent that then claims the aggregates and appropriates them or clings to them mm Although we speak of a person revolving in cyclic existence, someone who creates karma experiences its effects and is the appropriator of the aggregates. This is a nominally existent self, not an inherently existent self. So it's a self that exists merely, only, because on... The basis of designation, we conceive of a person and we label I. That's the only way the I exists. There's not something in the aggregates that is saying, Hi, I'm the person. I'm children. You know me. You don't need to designate me. Mm -mm. On the Buddha's said that what arises through causes and conditions has no birth. He was referring to this uninterrupted process of causes and conditions that lacks any fixed beginning. Okay. So we, you know, you hear all the time, you know, uh, yeah, no being is born. Yeah. The unarisen sprout The sprout doesn't arise, the unarisen sprout, the, yeah? We hear that all, the unborn, yeah, the unborn mind. What it's referring to is that there's no inherently existent mind that is born. There is a mind that exists by being merely designated, but there's no mind that exists completely unrelated to every other factor. Something that is the pure essence of mind or the pure essence of the recorder or of anything. No inherently existent aggregates or person goes from one life to the next. There are simply resultant factors that arise from causal factors. Like the chant said, you know, I can't chant it, but you heard it. Okay. Both causes and results exist by mere designation. Likewise, the moment that a cause ceases and its result arises is merely designated by conception. We cannot find some demarcation line between one moment of the next. As one impermanent, merely designated link ceases, another transient, merely designated link arises. Instead of link, you could say moment. You could say moment of mind, person, Yeah. In dependence upon this process, we say a person cycles in samsara, but there is no soul or truly existent person who cycles in samsara. Okay, so that means that the whole way we conceive of ourself and feel of ourself as we exist is totally make-believe. It doesn't exist at all. There is simply the continuum of a merely designated person. But no person who continues. When when I say that it means no inherently existent person that continues. Um, likewise the person who creates karma and attains nirvana is like an illusion in that it cannot be pinpointed. Not only can no inherently existent person who is reborn practices the path and attains liberation be found, but the aggregates and the twelve links themselves also lack inherent existence. Okay. Nagarjuna tells us in his commentary on the awakening mind, starting with ignorance and ending with aging or death, all processes that arise from the 12 links of dependent origination we accept them to be like a dream and like an illusion. Okay. Now, it's like a dream, like an illusion. It's not saying that the 12 links are a dream or the 12 links are an illusion. Okay. What's the difference between uh, an a, uh A recorder in a dream and an actual recorder? Yeah. The recorder in the dream vanishes as soon as you wake up. The recorder in the dream cannot record anything. There's an appearance of a recorder, but there is no recorder. So, it is in that way that we say things are like a dream. There is an appearance of an inherently existent person, but there is no inherently existent person. There are merely appearances of people. Yeah, I like to say that people are actually karmic bubbles. You know, we are appearances due to karma. Do you think of yourself as an appearance due to karma? No. I'm not due to karma. I'm not dependent on anything. I am here. This wheel with 12 links rolls along the road of cyclic existence. Outside this, there cannot be sentient beings experiencing the fruits of their deeds. So without this, pr- this continuous process, you can't pinpoint people who create causes and experience results. In brief, from empty phenomena, empty phenomena arise. From an inherently existent phenomena, nothing arises. But from an empty phenomena, an empty phenomena arises. Agent, karma, effects, and their enjoyer, the conqueror, the Buddha, taught these to be merely conventional. Merely eliminates inherently existent. So these things exist merely on the conventional level, merely on the level of appearances. There is nothing inherent that is it. So with that, we will close. Yes. I think I've asked this question before in a different way, but I'm struggling with this. I'll ask it again. (laughs) Um, I, when we say that there's no external controller, I can go, yes, yes, sure. And then when we just say the person's just causes and conditions, then I go, well, who's making the decisions? Mm -hmm. Or, um... A merely designated person is making the decisions. And what does that mean? That is your koan, dear. Mm. (laughs) What is a merely designated person? What does it mean to be merely designated? can we think outside the box of inherent existence? How things can function without being concrete things with their own independent nature? The question is really, how can they function if they are concrete things with their own independent nature? Okay, so think about that, you know. If there's a real person who is making the decision, find it. Okay? You're sure it exists. You feel it exists. Look for it. Find it. If it exists, it should be findable. Can we say that this analogy about the seal and the ink from one life to the next mm-hmm. is uh, also applies from one moment to the next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, anything that's a continuity, everything's moment to moment. And the moments are not nice individual little picture frames or frame frames on movie frames um can you give an example of how you might apply the no self or dependent arising analysis to something like the experience of anger fear or, or joy okay well take anger it's the first one you mention just sit there who is angry or who just got insulted. Yeah, It feels like there's a real me that just got insulted. It feels like there's a real me who is angry. I am angry. I am ticked off at that person. Yeah. Find, investigate who that I is. You know, if the I existed in the way that you feel it exists, it should be something that we can identify and put a a line around and say, that is it. Yeah? So if that's how we exist, try and find that thing that is really you, that you can put a a line around. Yeah? And it's very interesting. Do this, you know, or, you know, somebody insults you. You're such a jerk. Okay. Who? Who is, who is the jerk? They said I was a jerk. Who's the I that was a jerk? Yeah. Well, you know, the I depends on the body and mind. As one part of my body or one part of my mind, the jerk. Yeah. Do a really detailed body scan. Try and find that jerk. Yeah. Somebody says to you, you're such a jerk. You feel it right here, don't you? what are you calling me a jerk? Okay. And then look. Where is it? Well, there is no jerk, because they're just calling me a jerk because but there is no jerk in there. Okay. Well then who's offended? Who's the eye that's offended? If there's no jerk in there, then there, then maybe there should be an eye in there somewhere. Somewhere in all the little, what do you call the little sacks where the air goes in your lungs? You know? Uh of of ovules. yeah, I mean your bronchioles and your ovules. is there somewhere in that where you're hiding out there where there's a person? Yeah. Or maybe somewhere in some vessel in your heart. Yeah. Maybe there's a person hiding out in that artery. Oh, that's why my arteries are clogged. (laughs) I'm clogging them. (laughs) Yeah. Try and find. You know, who is it that was insulted? Who are they talking about and whose feelings are hurt? Yeah. That's a very practical application of this. Yeah.